Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the September 24, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, Jealousy and Generosity. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Surprises can be fun. They can be exciting. They can be scary. And part of what makes a surprise is how unexpected it is, right? If we know it's coming, it's not really a surprise. So I wonder if you have ever experienced unexpected generosity or expected if you have to, but generosity. Okay. I have. I have actually experienced generosity more times than I can count and unexpected several times, but there's one time that certainly stands out. I was 17. And I was serving at a church in Douglasville, Georgia for the summer as a youth intern. And I needed a car. Mine had died and I couldn't get a new one. And there was this very kind young couple that learned about this. And they came to me and said, we would like to sell you our our car. They had a little red neon and they wanted to sell it to me for $1. Wow. Wow. And, and I think like they were taking a young person and just trying to help her out because they liked the work that I was doing and they wanted to help me. And it really was such a generous gift. And that little neon, I drove that thing for a long time. (laughs) It was a good little car. Now you could, you had to pay attention to your mileage because the gas tank thing didn't work. So if you got to 300, you better fill it up. (laughs) But other than that, it was a great little car and I enjoyed driving it. And it really was such a generous, unnecessary gift. It was very kind of them. Very kind. Well, I had someone agree to marry me once, and that was pretty amazing. <laughs> generous as you could possibly get. Well, that wasn't my story. I just thought oh. I'd bring that up. Generosity. That even got a date That's in the good. first place. That was something. No, actually, my story is that there's one time when we went home for the family Christmas, because we do Christmas Eve. It's a big deal in our family. And this was a time when I was between jobs. And Rebecca was still really young and we were in our house and we were wondering, okay, how are we, how are we going to make it? Because we're short on funds and, you know, nature. We really don't know what's going to come on next. We just trust in God to take care of that. But we're taking a break. We're going with our family. We're having our Christmas. And then we'll come back and start worrying after New Year's. And so we go and we have our Christmas and stuff and we exchange things with our family. And it was nice. And we went home and after that, and we were talking about, okay, now what's going to come next? Let's just get through this holiday. And I heard from my mother say, remember your big brother gave you a wallet for Christmas because yours was so ratty and old. You might want to look in that before you start <laughs> the week. And sure enough, there's a thousand dollars in there. Oh my God. Wow. No idea. No one said anything about all. Oh. They sent me all the way home before I even knew it was there. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That was such a surprise and such a welcome one at that particular point. Sure. Mm. So I'm going to answer the question. It's It was unexpected that then became expected. My younger daughter, Ashley, has always been great at art. And one year for I forget. It was somebody's birthday in the family, one of the three others of us. And Ashley made an elaborate homemade card with art across the front, handwritten note in that precious 
seven-year-old penmanship. And it was the best gift. And it then became expected because we were like, I, I need an Ashley card. So she is in our family. She is famous for those homemade cards and they take her hours. There, there may be a watercolor on the front or something else that she will do. It will, it will take her a good long while. And we always look forward to our homemade Ashley card. So now it was unexpected, incredible gift. And now we, it yeah, would, you <laughs> that's right. It would not be birthday without it. <laughs> How lovely. And you can frame them all up one day. A oh collection. man. Yeah. Yes. They are in my night table dresser. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Got them all. When our daughter was preparing for her wedding, there, there's a lot to do to get ready for a wedding. And one of the things to do is to decide on a cake. And so we had done the drill where we go to different places and we test the, you taste the cakes. That's a suffering thing you have to do. And you try them out and then you look at the artistry of the decorator and the baker. And we had gone to this one that we really liked. And she, we did the tasting and she showed us her work and Megan picked out what she wanted. And once we had it all outlined and she's, and I was like, so do you have a sense of what this will cost? And she said, this one isn't going to cost anything. And we were shocked. And she said, every year I pick one bride and I give her cake for free. And she goes, I'm choosing you, Megan. And so <laughs> we were completely shocked and Megan was very taken. Uh -huh. And it was a beautiful mm. cake. But what a kind gift. And she just yeah. she said she randomly chooses every year a bride to gift the cake to, and she just knows who it is when she meets them. So I don't know what it was that triggered it, but <laughs> we're very grateful. It was a lovely gift. Uh, uh. Generosity is always appreciated, usually, and it's something that we all have a choice about giving. We've got an interesting text today that may bump up against this theme some more. Daniel, would you help get us started? Sure. The first thing I thought when I read Jesus' story in Matthew 20, preparing for this pod, this is unfair. <laughs> so what's going on here? Here's the story. It seems that a vineyard owner discovered he had to have some extra help if he was going to get in all the grapes before they spoiled. Early one morning before the workday began, he made his way to the town square where people would gather. Day laborers, we might call them today. They didn't have regular work. They were dependent every morning on someone giving them employment for the day. So let's say for the sake of clarity that there were 25-day laborers gathered before dawn. The vineyard owner picked out five of these people, gave them the address of his vineyard, and said, Go, put in a 12-hour day, and I will pay you a denarius, which was one day's wage. It also happened to be about what it took a family to put food on the table for the day. So these chosen five gladly went on their way. What they had gotten up in the morning hoping for had come to pass. Three hours later at 9 a.m., the vineyard owner came back to the town square, found 20 day laborers still waiting, and selected five more from the group. He said, I'll pay you what's appropriate at the end of the day. He came back at noon then at three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. He even returned at five o'clock, Jesus says, one hour before quitting time. 
And there, to his amazement, he found five day laborers still standing there, hoping against hope that someone might hire them. The owner said, you five, go to my vineyard also. I will pay you what is appropriate. What that means is that all 25 of these day laborers would go home with something. Nobody was going to have to go home and see his wife and children go to bed hungry. Even those who only worked an hour could buy a couple pieces of bread. And then comes the end of the day. 6 p.m., everybody lines up to be paid. And this is where the story takes a wild twist. Those who had only worked a single hour came to the desk first. And to their amazement, they are given a whole denarius, a full day's wage. When those hired at 3 p.m., 12 noon, and 9 a.m. came, they too were given a whole denarius. And then bringing up the rear came those favored five, those who had been selected first, those who worked all day, and they too were paid a denarius. When the all-day workers saw what they had gotten in comparison to what everybody else had gotten, don't you know they were some kind of mad? Sorry, boss's orders, the payroll lady said. The workers demanded an audience face-to-face with the vineyard owner, and when he came out, they shouted, This isn't fair! We've worked all day long, and some of these people only worked an hour. You have the nerve to pay us the same? At this point, the vineyard owner makes two very interesting responses. First, he says, look, I have done nothing unjust. You and I agreed at six o'clock this morning that I would pay you a denarius, and that's what I have done. Good point. Second, he says, am I not free to do what I want with what's mine, or are you jealous because I am generous? So I'll ask it rhetorically now, but I really would like to know once we we start discussing this, do you like this story or not? I think most of us don't, because many of us, certainly on this podcast and certainly those who will be gathering in classes to discuss this, we see ourselves as consistent workers in the Lord's vineyard. And when we read the story, we find God's ways troubling or maybe even offensive. Because part of our anger is that those people that we think are undeserving, God makes equal with us. We've gone to church all our lives. We've tried to follow Christ since we can remember. And when it comes to us versus others, we get the same pay. It's not fair. Yes, this is an uncomfortable parable for hardworking religious folks to hear. It troubles our faith in what we perceive as God's justice. The story means God's grace can just fall wherever God chooses. It also means God's in charge and we're not. It means when somebody new joins the church, they have just as much a voice in what the church does as the folks who've been there 50 years. But at the end of the day, most of us, even if we don't love this story, I suspect that we are grateful we have a God who does not play by the rules. 
Because if I'm honest, I'm glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve, and it's not pretty. I want what God wants to give me anyway. That's a little background on our text for today. Thank you, Daniel. That was an interesting thing that had all kinds of thoughts racing through my head. I'm trying to figure out how to answer the question you raised. Mm-hmm. I'm, liking, I'm liking the story. I mean, toward the very end, I was starting to think of a song that I like. And I know we can't repeat these kinds of things on the air, but there's a song by Ben Folds where it talks about how there's always someone cooler than you. And there's always somebody who's a little bit ahead of you, no matter what's going on in your life. And we have to learn to adjust to that because when it comes to grace and it comes to faith and religion and whatever you want to put it, there is always going to be somebody who's a little bit cooler than we are. They've been in church longer. They're better speakers. They're somehow closer to God, or at least we sense that. They're more serious about things than we are. There's always going to be somebody like that out there. And this story says that even though that is the case, God's going to love us just as much and receive us just as warmly as those people who are always going to be better than us, no matter how good we think we are. And I don't want to fully let us off the hook because we certainly need to lighten up. And if this is the way God chooses to dole out justice, then that's God's right. But I will say, we're conditioned to think we ought to, the payment from God, and I'm putting that in air quotes for our listeners, it it should be in line with how much we work for God. We've been conditioned to believe that. Do y'all remember the old offering envelopes that had, Mm -hmm. bring your Bible to church 10%? Yeah, bring bring a friend. Did you bring a friend? Did you study your lesson? You got to check and try to get to 100%. And Yeah, I could check all those off several Sundays. Yeah, and it was like we should bring it to church. Like, that's our proof of a full day's work. So we should get the full payment. And it's the, the boss here in this story just rips that up and says, I... I don't care about that. I don't care if you have 10% or 100%. It's not your, that's not how any of this works. I was going to say, you, you have to also like the essential turn of the story where people assume that for some reason they have a right to question the landowner. Mm-hmm. Like, who are they to go to the landowner and say, you should have done this to me. You should have done this for me. Or to stay over and make a complaint. Who are they to do that? Right. Jesus is, by telling the story this way, is conveying this sense of outrage to us in some way. and Which is so funny because, as the landowner says, and I love the way he responds, he goes, wait a minute. We made an agreement that you would work all day and I would pay you this amount, and that's what I did. So even though the landowner lives up to his bargain, we can't stand that someone else might be given a little grace. Just can't stand it. I think that's real. And I have been thinking about your question. And so I think if I were in the story, if I put myself in the story and I were the people who, and I was like in the group that worked all day, yes, I'd be super jealous and mad that the people who worked a short amount of time got paid the same amount that I did. When I saw them get paid, I would have immediately thought, oh, I guess we're getting paid more. But if you ask Nikki, the minister, 
she loves this story because it is such a beautiful and useful example, both in the first century and in the 21st century, about how God's grace turns everything on its head. We can un- we understand economics as a people. We understand getting paid what you're worth. And so I think that it's such a clear example for us of how God doesn't do things the way that we do things. We could, sometimes it's a helpful exercise to go to the opposite and think about the opposite for a minute. So we are talking here about a generous God, which feels pretty comfortable, right? We hear the story and it makes us uncomfortable, but the idea of a generous God, that feels pretty good, right? But if you think of the opposite, it would be what, a stingy God? And thinking about what it would be like to have a stingy God, a God who either because of real or created limits only allows so much grace, only allows so much love, only allows so much. And and I don't think any of us want that. But then when we're shown what a generous God looks like, we also have trouble. <laughs> and so I guess I wonder, do we carry around many days without even reflecting on it? The notion of a stingy God, because we're used to stingy bosses or a stingy world, do we Mm. assume God is the same way? And maybe this story is, as Nikki says, flipping it on its head to say, that's not how this works. That's not how God is. And I think we could also try to put ourselves at the other end of the laborers. So, yes, I think most of us think of ourselves, as Daniel said, as the ones who worked all day. But what if you were the ones who at five o'clock we're still standing there trying to hope against hope. You could make a little bit to take home food to your kids that night. And you knew if nobody let you do any work, your kids and your family were going to go hungry that night. Because that's the reality in this story. We're not talking about a group of people who have savings. They are day laborers, which means they work for a day, they get money for a day, they eat for a day, and then rinse and repeat. And and so I think that if we can put ourselves in those shoes... I don't think that the people who stood there all day did any less work. Their work was just simply around like that emotional labor of figuring out how to take care of their family and their loved ones. And the gift that this man gave was to say, okay, I'm going to make it possible for you, your family to eat tonight. That's okay. So here's where my mind is going. And Spoiler alert, River Road Church. This is the way I think I'm going to preach this. <laughs> Nikki, you're asking us to, to what if we were the one hour? Because we're conditioned, I think, particularly church folks, to see ourselves as those all-day workers. I I don't think it's a what if. I think we are those one-hour workers. I think all this time we identify with the all-day workers, and I think there is something to that, but more times than not, I've gotten to work late and I've left early. I have. There have been times when, in, in working in God's vineyard, I didn't even show up at all. There have been times that I did not deserve to be paid anything, but God gave me a full day's wage. And I think we all can, and that's why we started this with the wonderful question that we did. 
we think we're those 12-hour workers, but we're not, I don't think. And we didn't realize it because we got a full day's wage too. And it was by grace that we received that, not because we earned it. Well, can I build on that that just a little bit? Because we're talking about grace, and I think there's a point that you've just brought out. That's a big part of this story. The people who worked all day, well, they got what they were promised. Yeah, everybody got what they were promised. The, if anything, the person who is losing in this story, the person who may have made a sacrifice and is ripped off, was the landowner. Sure. Mm-hmm. Grace works this way. God sort changes God's self on our behalf to make sure that we have something. And when we're grasping and looking at other people's grace, we totally miss that point. And I don't think we can afford to. I'm curious. The We certainly understand the reaction of those 12-day workers. They don't like the way the boss man operates here. What, why do you think they respond the way they do? I mean, it, on the one hand, and I know this is naive thinking, but... What's it to them if the what the payroll person pays these other workers? It doesn't you're not getting any less. You're not being shortchanged. And it doesn't them being paid what you did doesn't make yours any less. But man, if we were in the payroll line and we had worked a full day, we I'm sure we would have responded just the same way. This ain't right. Why do we do that? I'm asking because I don't know. Kind of like, why do we get jealous when other people get good things? I think that we derive our sense of self-worth from things. And to some degree, when we see other people have good things, we compare ourselves to them. I don't know if you've all ever done this on jobs Mm -hmm. that you've had in the past, but how often have you looked at the other people you work with and wonder what they got paid? There's a reason why companies hide this information. Sure. You want to know are we really perceived as being as worthwhile as these other people? And if all of a sudden everybody's getting paid the same, then the answer to that question might be, maybe they don't look at us as as worthwhile because they made us work all day for this. The other people didn't have to. Maybe our product isn't as valuable. And I think our own personal insecurity is going to lead us to think and talk that way. But this is something is, again, I brought this up before, this has always gone on. We've always had this comparing me to you and what our product is. And it's throughout the Gospels we see this, where Jesus' disciples are always seeing who's going to be first in heaven. And can I sit by Jesus' right side? And even after Jesus' resurrection, when they're saying, what's going to happen to that guy? And Jesus has to say, what's that to you? They're always looking around asking the same sorts of insecure questions. Yeah, it's it starts early with us, doesn't it? Why did she get two cookies and I only got one? I'm back to cookies. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But it is just, it seems so built into human nature to consider ourselves first. And if we are able to consider others first, and what does he say? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a different, it's a different focus rather than focus on What's me or how do I get mine? It's a thinking of the other. The first will be last and the last will be first. It is a difficult (laughs) equation. Were you going to say something, Nikki? Well, I'm just sitting here thinking. So it feels like 
what's happening is this in the story it's like jesus is giving like a holy that's none of your business <laughs> don't worry about what i'm doing with these people over here yeah and i think it's i don't know which one of you said it, which david said it but as human beings, we cannot help but compare ourselves to the person sitting next to us. And that is from the moment we are cognizant of ourselves as a separate being, that we be then begin to compare, oh, wait, do I match over here? Do I match over there? Sometimes it leads to sharing. I see, oh, you, you don't have what I have. Let me share. Sometimes that happens. Other times it's, I don't have what you have. I want to take it. I want to have it for me. And I think it is this, Some maybe comparing is our original sin. I don't know. But I think that it is a thing that only leads us down bad roads. When we were sharing our stories at the front of this podcast, I had another story that I want to share now. Because I want us to conclude this good conversation, again, celebrating generosity. Because when it happens to us, it is a good thing. And remembering that maybe helps us remember to be generous with others. Because we do have so much to give. So I was in seminary. I was in the doctoral program. And we had this thing called being, you could be a Garrett fellow. And basically that meant you graded papers and took attendance and copied papers and did whatever the professor you worked for asked you to do. <laughs> and some of the professors would take a little advantage of that. They would, they would have you wash their car or run and buy the groceries and bring them home or do errands. It was, you pretty much were going to do what you were asked to do. And I was fortunate to have a professor who was different than that. And I realized it after our first son was born, our only son was born. And we had let some chores go because it was a super busy time. And uh, our grass in the yard had gotten a high and really needed mowing. And I came home from work one day and the grass had been mowed. And I was like, well, how did that happen? And so I started asking around because I thought at first it was somebody at the church. Nope, I couldn't find out. Nobody there would say they did it or knew who did it or anything about it. And finally, I went to neighbors and I asked, I said, did you see anybody mowing the grass? And they, one of them had noticed and said, yes, it was a guy driving this truck and he looked like this. And I knew instantly who it was. It was my professor, the, my, who I worked for. <laughs> he had come and secretly mowed our grass. Mm. What a gift of generosity and kindness that was not only unexpected, but deeply appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can all find the joy in being like God and giving generously, sharing unexpectedly with others. It is a joyous thing, and it is of God. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.